0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens, and it is, as always, an honor to be with you tonight. We've got a big show lined up for you. And we're going to start by joining my good friend, Ryan Zinke. You've seen him on the program before, served this country for decades as a Navy SEAL commander, former congressman from Montana, former United States Secretary of the Interior. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us, man.
1: Great to be with you as always, Eric.
0: So look, Ryan, we're at what has been a incredibly difficult moment uh, for so many people in this country. Uh, you have served this country. You've served it as a Navy SEAL. You've served the people of Montana as a congressman. You've served the people of the United States as a cabinet secretary. You've taken an oath to support and defend the Constitution many times in your life. Where do we go from here?
1: Well, I, th- I think we should all agree that it it is a very very sad moment uh, in America and we as Americans you know first I'll go back to tell you Roosevelt we all are Americans first yes uh, you can't be 50-50. because if you're 5050 uh, you're you're you know we don't we don't judge Americans uh, on the basis of black white uh, Jewish male or female we judge Americans as as we are all Americans first. Yes, uh, I, I think I think we started the Constitution uh, because the, the framework of the Constitution, and you and know I have given an oath to the Constitution to defend the Constitution against yes. all enemies, foreign and domestic. And in government, it's about the Constitution and not about a president or an individual. And I, I think we go back and we started the Constitution and understand how incredibly important it is that we use the Constitution as our guide, Mm -hmm. that we protect uh, individual freedoms, uh, uh, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, freedom of expression. Uh, In this tragic case, it is absolutely tragic. I think, where do we go from here? Uh, You know, a a president, in this case President Trump, certainly had every right uh to look at the election exhaust all legal all all all, all legal remedies uh those had been exhausted and now it's a peaceful transition uh i i think our our good friend uh, uh dan crenshaw yeah, was correct, yeah. absolutely and, and and a good friend and he, he has been a light uh i think of, a, of adult leadership uh, in this case is that It was a falsehood, a lie that Congress had the power to overturn the election and overturn a certified result from a state. That clearly uh, is is unconstitutional to suggest that an election can be over overturned. I I, so, you know, that is the uh, basis of this. You know, I've seen the the narratives that somehow the riot would have been different uh, had it been Black Lives Matter or all riots. Uh, You know, there's there's a line between peaceful protests, which which we encourage. Yeah. But when it becomes violent in this case, I I, I think uh, President-elect Biden uh, was correct uh, in that a president's words matter. Uh, they can inspire or they can incite. Uh, I think in, in this case, uh, it led to uh, an, an incitement. Uh, they were they were wrong. They are criminals, just as uh, there are criminals that invaded you know the capital of Wisconsin when Governor uh, Walker was there, although no one died. But certainly the the, the burning of federal courthouses, the act of violence, you know, we should universally uh, condemn it. We should, we should make, make sure it doesn't happen again uh, because we as a country are better than that. And the world looks to the U.S. in so many ways, and we are the light, the beacon on the hill. And, and we should be, and I, we should also understand our responsibility of, of, of being the greatest democracy and showing others uh, on, on this planet Uh, how a a democracy works and why it's so important.
2: Well, it
0: is. Uh, We we are blessed to live in the greatest uh, republic that has ever existed on the planet. You and I have talked about that quite a bit. Uh, We are blessed to have the Constitution that we have. Uh, You've also, and I want to get your perspective here, not just as as a Navy SEAL, but as somebody who's also served our country abroad for so long, and pick up on that, that last point that you were that you were making is that people around the, around the world look to the United States for leadership. Uh, what do we as citizens need to do to make sure that the republic stays vital? And how do you think that people around the world are now seeing the United States? And again, what do we need to do to maintain America's position of, of leadership in the world?
2: Well,
1: you know, a, a source of the problem, and in, in the SEALs we look at the center of gravity, mm-hmm. right? W- what is the, the issue of of cause? Uh, where we find ourselves is there's two sets of truths, uh, and unfortunately the truths are on the opposite side. And we have to look at, as we have done in the past and will in the future, we we look at where, you know, we can disagree. But we look for areas that we can agree on. Uh, we understand that we that those that are elected in office, and and you and I both have had the honor to serve. Yeah. Uh, in your case, the great state of Missouri, and mine in my case, Montana. But that that's an, an enormous uh, responsibility uh, to serve everybody. When you're governor, yes, right. you just you just don't represent right. the, yes. your party. You represent everybody in your state. And we have to we have to rise above this. I'm hoping President-elect Biden uh, can rise above this and show the leadership to begin to heal this festering wound that that is a threat to the republic. And, and how do we do it? I think we go back to the Constitution, understand how important it is to exercise uh, our freedoms um, but but do it in a way that that is, is not criminal behavior all of us should stand shoulder to shoulder and say no on riots right on 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 knowing this criminal activity uh, it should be universally uh, can, can, condemned it should be an outrage to every 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 citizen. Uh, I don't buy the argument that uh, you know somehow that uh, that the president, you know, uh, w- when he when he did, uh, I think stoke the, the the fuel that that he directed uh, people to, you know, break the law and, and, and go inside the Capitol, but certainly he he fueled it, uh, and I, I'm I'm sure he regrets it, uh, but you know he's taken it kind of a, a different tone uh, about now it's focused on a peaceful transition. Uh, unfortunately, we, 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 we can't uh, burn the pages behind us. We have to learn from it, just like you know, we, that's why we look at, at not tearing down our monuments and statues right. of generations before us. We learn from our, from our mistakes, uh, and we'll become a better
0: country uh, for it. Yeah, and I want to I want to actually pick up on that on that piece. Um, so let's you know put on your your Navy SEAL commander hat for a minute. I mean, one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past is that you know as a SEAL and for everybody who serves in the military, when you have a mission in front of you, it doesn't matter whether the the man or woman to your left or right is a Democrat, a Republican, urban, rural, grew up rich, poor, like you all have a common mission as Americans. What do we need to do to restore that sense of common mission? And how do we learn from this, from this moment? You know, we do do an after action report on the country. How do we learn from this moment and go forward as we reestablish that sense of common mission?
1: Well, I think we have to recognize that, you know, uh, in the case of President Trump, uh, one is the election itself. We have to make sure the elections are transparent. Mm-hmm that we, we don't put ourselves in a corner where half the country believes our elections were fraudulent. Right. Uh, so we have to put in in place. I mean, you have to have an ID to go to Costco. So, you know, I, I, I think the idea that, that you, you should be able to present uh, at, at least a verifiable uh, evidence <laughs> that you are who you are, and you're eligible to vote. Yes. We should encourage uh, every citizen, when I say every citizen, uh, to vote and exercise uh, his right and privilege uh, to be a part of this democracy. N- no population should be suppressed uh, on voting. So it should make the avenues uh, to vote uh, easy, straightforward, but verifiable. Mm-hmm. Uh the forensic evidence, you know, you recall last election, uh, you know, there was there was allegations from the other side that which which is amazing, the electoral college is about the same uh from uh, Secretary Clinton and and, and, and right. President Trump. Uh but we should have confidence and whatever it takes to make sure that our elections going forward, we have the confidence uh that's that would be a giant step forward because right now half the equation uh, does not believe uh, that the elections uh, were, were fair and square. yeah because like the and last it, four years, it, half half the half the country immediately went into you know kind resist, of denial mode.
0: Uh, yes, and the we, election do. Was we, stolen. we have to figure yeah. out a way to to kind of build that that confidence uh, back. Well folks, again, Uh, That's Ryan Zinke, uh, patriot, American, Navy SEAL commander, congressman from Montana, and former secretary, joining us to talk about the path forward for the country. We'll be right back.
3: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital.
0: Well, welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. Earlier today, Just the News editor-in-chief John Solomon broke down his perspective on how the GOP lost control of Washington with Just the News AM host Kerry Sheffield. Uh, Let's take a listen, and then we'll come right back for some commentary from Amanda Head.
4: So you had a great, smart piece uh, with an analysis, the headline, How the GOP Lost Control of Washington and What Comes Next. So your analysis, you looked at how Democrats own the narrative and the rules of the 2020 election. Will the Republicans learn from it? What do you think?
5: Well, I've been a lot of reaction to it. I've talked to a lot of people. Uh, and before I did this story, I talked to more than three dozen you know, thinkers and activists in the Republican side saying... How do you come back? It's 1993 again. Do you have a Gingrich-like revolution in 1994, or do you lay cower and curse the darkness that you feel right now? And I think most people are thinking they're ready to go back and reset the rules. They see lots of optimistic things that occurred in this election. Donald Trump brought out the largest number of Republican voters in American history, between 75 and 80 million. Several House seats were won back in a year when people thought it was going to be a landslide democratically. Uh, the Senate is split evenly 50-50. The Republicans fared much better in a year when they had very tough map to defend, a very tough map. Uh, I think uh, the number one thing you will see conservatives do is attack the rules that were changed in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, Michigan, Arizona, and Georgia uh, that were done without the consent of the legislatures. Things like Uh, universal mail-in ballots, being able to fix a ballot if you're an election official, being able to take $350 million from Mark Zuckerberg and give it to the election judges on the front lines. I think you're going to see the Republicans press those legislatures to reclaim the rules, reset the rules, recalibrate the rules, bring election processes back to where they were in 2016 and 2018. I think that'll be the number one line of defense. And then I think the second thing that conservatives seem committed to do is to build their own information infrastructure. For too long, they relied on Twitter and Facebook. They got nowhere. They are now in the process of building these new and exciting platforms where they can amass the same tens of millions they used to have on Twitter and Facebook before the censorship wars began.
4: Sure, and you talk about some of these platforms, things like CloudHub, uh, things like Parler, Here's my question on that. Does the country risk becoming more polarized because of echo chambers that could be created here, that things would become even more divided, basically, because you're just all agreeing with each other? And is this a problem? Why don't Facebook and Twitter see this as a problem that if, I mean, even commercially for them, too?
5: Well, right now it isn't a problem because it doesn't affect their bottom line. But if tens of millions of people or even millions more people migrate off their platforms and onto new platforms, (laughs) their own stock uh, owners and investors are going to become concerned, because at the end of the day, they're not ideological. They're not paid on Wall Street to be ideological bastions. They're paid to be businesses that generate money. So people can vote with their pocket, pocketbook. The amazing thing about these other platforms is all the liberals and the Democrats are welcome to join as well. They're just not going to censor people. The, the insane and indiscriminate way that Twitter and Facebook has censored and quote-unquote fact-check stories that often are very accurate Uh, has really alienated uh, not just millions, but tens of millions of Americans now.
4: Well, and in terms of seeing how this would play out with the social media, uh, to your point, President Trump was allowed back on Twitter. I I highly doubt that Twitter, which is a publicly traded company, is going to want to see probably their most famous user gone for good.
5: Yeah. I mean, that's a big, uh, despite all their posturing, uh, that is a big question. And at the end of the day, the great thing about America is it's a meritocracy. And Twitter and Facebook have been fun for us for a long, long time. But there's large numbers of us. Listen, I've I've moved to Parlor a lot. I've moved to Cloud Hub because I it's a principal thing for me. I haven't been targeted on Twitter or Facebook, but I we I don't believe silencing a left, a right, a center voice just because you don't agree with them. And I think the big story of 2021 will be the mass migration of millions of Americas to new platforms that represent the original America. We all found it. Free speech, freedom of expression, freedom of assembly. That's going to be the big move in 2021.
4: So let's talk just a little bit about Joe Biden's cabinet picks, what we know so far, because during the primary, Joe Biden was pulled very hard to the left. He made concessions on things that he had never compromised right. before, for example, abortion. He had publicly right. opposed any taxpayer dollars to be used for abortion for 40 years, for decades. And and in the primary, this in 2020, he revoked that status uh, and said that he would support it. Uh, in a number of other ways on climate change, he said he would embrace parts of the Green New Deal. And it seemed that he became a Joe Biden that uh, he the original Joe Biden wouldn't even recognize. That's what uh, Dick Morris told me that uh, Bill Clinton in his early presidency when it was uh, Democrat-controlled House and Senate, he said, I became so liberal, I don't even recognize myself. That's what Bill Clinton said. (laughs) Uh, And so uh, Dick Morris told me he thinks that Joe Biden is going to be facing this pressure to be pulled very far to the left. So, But when we look at these nominees, they don't seem that far left. So you've got Merrick Garland, for his attorney general, he yeah, was perceived as a, judge. a very, and perceived as much more down the middle, very much yeah. uh, more to the middle as opposed to being a hard left judge. Uh, and that was part of why Obama had nominated him because he thought he could get him through the Senate. Um, and then also looking at some of these others, Pete Buttigieg, when you look at the lineup who was running in the primary, Pete Buttigieg was one of the more you know, perceived as being more moderate. He's from the Midwest, from a, a more, you know, college town with a, a very popular Catholic university. And then, you know, just others who, you know, former Iowa Governor Tom Vilsack, uh, U.S. Army General Lloyd Austin, these names are not, uh, and Gina Raimondo from Rhode Island for Commerce Secretary, these are not hard left activists. Do you think this is going to satisfy the base? Or are they going to be angry and, and want more?
5: I think the greatest threat to the Biden presidency will not be Donald Trump. It will not be the Republican movement. Uh, It will be the fact that uh, Joe Biden will start on day one having to wear his breastplate backward because the far left will be attacking him, pushing him, antagonizing him the day he starts pursuing his natural policies. He's a mid-Atlantic centrist over 40 years. You don't suddenly have an epiphany, other than it's helpful to run it for in in the election, to suddenly become massively liberal. He's going to be a more centrist. And the second he starts engaging Republicans in a centrist agenda, like an infrastructure package, which he's talked about, Republicans will actually feed the narrative by cooperating with him and making all of the AOCers in the world upset. I think uh, the great threat to the Biden presidency is the fact that he is triangulated between a very left party, his own centrist ideology, and the Republicans. I think he's going to be looking over his shoulder a lot more than he's going to be looking at the Republican uh, enemy across the line.
0: We're joined now in studio by Real America's voice correspondent Amanda Head. You've seen Amanda here many times. She always brings some insightful and thoughtful commentary. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us again. So, I want to start with something you and I have talked about before, and that is the censorship of big tech, of conservative voices. One of the things that you heard John Solomon saying is that he thinks that 2021 might be the year when millions of Americans finally say enough with these platforms which are censoring not just conservatives but censoring any Americans and moving more to free speech platforms what are your what are your thoughts on this
3: absolutely I mean people here at this network a lot of us have been tweeting about how we lost followers I've lost 2,000 followers in less than 24 hours Um, the marketplace of ideas is now members only and I'm not on the list and a lot of people at this network are not on the list. So I think that the migration over to some of those other platforms, CloudHub, Parlor, I think that that is a real possibility for Twitter. And if we all jump ship and go there, like John said, that does affect their bottom line. And when you have a platform like Parlor that allows competing ideas, which, yes. which is the whole point of things. Yes. I, I, I thought of this analogy when I moved into my condo and we found black mold under our sink. But the way to stamp out bad ideas just like black mold is not to cover it up and silence it or in the case of black mold put plywood over it and just act like it doesn't exist because then it's going to propagate and it's going to get even worse. You have to expose it to oxygen. You have to let it air out and be in the marketplace of ideas because bad ideas can only be combated with good ideas.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about that again. This is just a founding principle of the country, the idea of freedom of speech, freedom of of expression. The idea was if you have a strong, robust republic, that you could let a marketplace of ideas function. And that, yes, some of the bad ideas are going to enter, some unhelpful ideas might enter, but that actually the way for us to move forward is by uh, exposing citizens to can make up their own minds by seeing all ideas rather than having big tech censors deciding what yeah. people should and shouldn't see. Do you think that this core value about freedom of speech, freedom of expression is going to be part of this next wave of conservative Republican GOP activism?
3: Absolutely. You know, I, I don't know exactly how that's going to look as far as how we are going to have our voice heard. You know, like John said, they, they control Washington now. The reality is, though, this is not a new situation where you have one party who wins the White House, the House and the Senate in one election. Um, You know, Clinton, Carter, Kennedy, Eisenhower, Bush, Trump. Uh, But the new reality, however, at least for Republicans, is that. For our side, we're not going back to the way that we were before, and that's a good thing. They have awoken a beast, as we saw on Wednesday with the peaceful protests, all of the people that showed up from all over the country to Washington, D.C., that is the new reality for the Republican Party. And 2022 is coming. I know that a week ago, a lot of us said, no, we can't focus on 2022. We have to fix 2020. We have two years to fix the election laws. Like John Solomon said, it starts with the state legislatures. And in 2022, you know, I, I don't think that Biden is going to be that effective with his radical agenda with Green New Deal, court packing, D.C. statehood, you know, am- blanket amnesty, those types of things. So what's going to happen? They're going to gum up Congress for two years trying to get that stuff done. But with such a narrow margin for Democrats, they won't be able to. And then in 22, 2022, what do we do? We force Democrats out. We win both the House and the Senate. We primary the, the perceived rhinos. And we, and we clean house. And, and that's the very first step we take in this, this long journey, I'm afraid, of, of winning back our country.
0: Yeah, and look, it is, we, we're obviously at, at a tough point in our country. But as you and I talked about yesterday when, when you made the analogy to Washington crossing the Delaware, yeah. we've been in tough spots before. Yes, we have. And we've made it through, and we're going to make it through we'll this right. one again. Well Thank you again so thank much, you, Amanda. Eric. Again, folks, that was Amanda Head, Real America's Voice correspondent. Coming up right after this, David Brody is going to be joining us with some really interesting thoughts about faith and the role that it can play in the revival of the American Republic. We'll be right back.
3: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car you should love your car that's why every car we sell is carmax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer so don't settle find love at first drive and start shopping now at carmax.com carmax the way car buying should be
0: welcome back to actionable intelligence i'm eric greitens we're joined now by my friend he's host of the water cooler here on real america's voice he's also a longtime host on the christian broadcast network and christian author david brody david so good to have you back thank thank you you so much for joining us you bet so david you have for a long time offered your perspective on politics Mm -hmm. and you've done that at the christian broadcasting network you've done that here at real america's voice I'm going to ask you now, because you have been a student of politics and history, just to put on a different perspective slightly and to begin at offering us your perspective as a man of faith yeah. about where we're at in this difficult moment in the republic. Mm-hmm. and how people of faith can come together to help to revive the republic at what we all recognize as a difficult
6: time. Right. Well, there's a couple of things. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think it starts with a book called The Bible. Yes. I, you, I'm sure you've heard yes. of it. Yes. Uh, the, the, some folks may not have heard yes. of it, uh, especially in this day and age. Uh, look, when you, when you go to the Bible, it talks about something very hard to do, and especially in this climate, which is love your enemies. Yes. Uh, and love your neighbor yeah. as yourself. Uh, so look, the, the bottom line is this. We have to start there. Uh, is it hard? Yeah, it's yeah. hard. I mean, it's really hard. Uh, but that, but that requires as people of faith, you know, we want to get on our knees. We want to pray. We want to, we want the Lord. Uh, to actually take over in places that we can't get to ourselves. And and I think that's really important. So, you know, love your neighbor. And what does that really mean, love your neighbor? Look, it it means this, that if you have a liberal uh, that you're disagreeing with, or you're uh, a liberal and you disagree with a conservative, why don't you start in a place uh, where where you can come together on on a few issues that you can agree on. For example, maybe you both like the Rolling Stones. Mm -hmm. Maybe you both are New York Yankee fans. Whatever it is that can bond two people together. I mean, let's be honest. You know, if if I saw someone drowning in the ocean and then I found out they were a liberal, would I not save them? You know, the point is you you, you go and you you save the person. You don't ask what's your political persuasion first. So, I mean, I think the love your neighbor is a really important concept. Very, very difficult to do. And let's also like build on that. The whole idea of these difficult
0: concepts of loving your neighbor mm-hmm. and forgiveness is that they're difficult for human beings to do, and right. that's why you turn to faith. It's because these things are hard, and I think we have to naturally recognize that that these things are hard, but they're absolutely possible for for people to do. I've certainly found in in my life, both you know, uh, when I've been serving as a in humanitarian context serving as an Navy and when i was serving as governor we could bring people together right we had we had an incident when i was in missouri where there were some really awful VANDALISM AT A HISTORIC JEWISH CEMETERY, Mm -hmm. AND WE BROUGHT TOGETHER THOUSANDS OF PEOPLE, JEWISH, CHRISTIAN, HINDU, MUSLIM, BUDDHIST, THEY ALL CAME TOGETHER Mm -hmm. TO HELP TO REBUILD AND REVIVE THE CEMETERY. YOU KNOW, AND and SO I HAVE SEEN THAT. WHAT DO YOU THINK IS MOST IMPORTANT FOR CITIZENS AS THEY LOOK AT THEIR ROLE IN THE COMMUNITY RIGHT NOW? HOW DO WE ENCOURAGE PEOPLE TO STAY ACTIVE? BECAUSE I THINK THERE IS A LOT OF DESPAIR AND WORRY, BUT you know, despair and worry doesn't go away when you retreat. We need, we need yeah. to find ways to stay active and to stay
6: positive. Well, you have to start with being informed, yes. n- number yes. one. And number two, and I think this is really important, and a pastor friend of mine, Rob McCoy, is very fond of saying this, and I love this expression. He goes, why don't you just take care of your own bean patch in front of your own mm-hmm. front yard? Mm-hmm. In other words, sometimes we get yeah. caught up in Washington and January 6th and Congress and liberals, conservatives, Republicans. Democrats, hold on for a second. Yeah. You got a school board. Yes. you got a city council. Yes. Uh, you've got the, the local authorities, faith communities as yes. well. All of it uh, right in front of your own front yard, in your own community, uh, your own bean patch. Yes. And that's the point. Start there. Make it smaller. You know, if we start to think of it in 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 too big of a term or you know too big of a scope, uh, then then I think we start to lose perspective on what you can do. Yes, you know, as 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 an informed citizen, Uh, and that means getting understand what your school board's doing, understand what your city council is doing, uh, sign petitions, petition all of that. It's really important, Uh, and I think if we start there, I think it'll it'll make a, a big difference.
0: Yeah, and, and I think, you know, also to, to build on that, I think that we start kind of where we're at, mm-hmm. and we can also start, uh, yes, we look at the school board, we look at some of those local issues, but we can also start recognizing that, like, there might be an elderly couple down the street who needs our help, there might be a third grader who needs assistance in tutoring and learning how to read. There are all of these different ways for us to serve, mm-hmm. and I think one of the things that's unfortunate about, especially the way the mainstream media often portrays the country is that it always portrays the country as if the most important thing that's happening is political conflict. Right. And there's so much more that's happening in our civic life where people can get engaged. They can find ways to love their neighbor, to serve their neighbor. And that ov- obviously all- always helps them as well.
6: Well, you know, it's funny, uh, not to get not to get into my personal life, yeah. no, just playing yeah. around, but I'm watching some Little House on the Prairie reruns <laughs> right now. And you know what I'm, f- I'm finding out back in the 1800s and before that, yeah. in the 1700s, the, the, the church and government, it was very much kind of symbiotic, not separate for sure, yes. but at the same time, you know, the value. Yes. Uh, you know that you went to church and, or you went to a synagogue, whatever it happens to be, and we need a new black robe regiment in this country. You know we need pastors uh, and, and men of other faiths as well, yes. and women of other faiths, uh, speaking out. From the pulpit uh, about the cultural, political, moral issues of the day, and I I think what's happened is there's been a timidity uh, as it relates to pastors not wanting to speak out as much from the pulpit because they fear they're going to get you know taxed by the or you know IRS exemptions and all of that type of stuff. So uh, I think that's really important. So we need that when I talk about the black robe regiment, in case people don't understand, these were these were clergy back in the day of the Revolutionary War period that spoke out against what the British were doing, uh, and they were the black robe REGIMENT THAT SAID, YOU KNOW WHAT? BRING IT. COME ON, BRITISH. LET'S GO. AND WE'RE GOING TO ACTUALLY SPEAK ABOUT WHAT'S GOING ON IN AMERICA BACK IN THE 1700S. the same thing needs to happen today, and there is a movement afoot about on that, and that's bears watching for Very sure.
0: Good. Well, David, we always appreciate your historical insight, your political insight, your insight as a man of faith. Thank you so much for, for joining us. You again. bet, Eric. You bet. Again, folks, that's David Brody. He's host of The Water Cooler. Watch it here on Real America's Voice weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern. It's a ton of fun. Now, last night, the president addressed the nation and he said that his focus was on a peaceful and seamless transition on January 20th. Take a listen here.
2: I would like to begin by addressing the heinous attack on the United States Capitol. Like all Americans, I am outraged by the violence, lawlessness, and mayhem. I immediately deployed the National Guard and federal law enforcement to secure the building and expel the intruders. America is and must always be a nation of law and order. The demonstrators who infiltrated the Capitol have defiled the seat of American democracy. To those who engaged in the acts of violence and destruction, you do not represent our country. And to those who broke the law, you will pay. We have just been through an intense election, and emotions are high. But now, tempers must be cooled and calm restored. We must get on with the business of America. My campaign vigorously pursued every legal avenue to contest the election results. My only goal was to ensure the integrity of the vote. In so doing, I was fighting to defend American democracy. Joined now by Heather Mullins,
0: Real America's Voice correspondent. Heather, the president spoke last night uh, from the White House, and I want to get your take. You've been, on, you've been on the ground in Georgia for a long time following developments there. You've been monitoring what happened in Washington, D.C. Uh, what do you make of the president's remarks from last night, where, again, he affirmed that this is a nation of law and order and pledged for a peaceful transition of power?
7: You know, I, I agree with the president and I think that's something that, you know, Trump supporters have fundamentally stood by for a really long time. I mean, we are seeing videos surfacing now where it's showing people, you know, destroying things at the Capitol uh, and people yelling Antifa and then Trump right. supporters actually restraining those individuals yes. and then the crowd cheers. That is more in line with what you see at these Trump rallies that we we've covered for so long. And you know, it's really unfortunate that Because of this event, you had senators like Kelly Loeffler here and David Perdue that decided to walk back their objection to the election that they had originally agreed upon. Now, this is crazy to me because you would think that the objection would be based off of the evidence of the fraud and all the irregularities that we saw across Georgia here. And Congressman Jody Heiss actually kept his word. He he objected to the electors, but yet Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue flipped because they Kelly said she couldn't in good faith do it after the events. Well, the objection shouldn't have been based on the events of that day. It should have been based on the evidence of fraud and irregularities in Georgia. And so this is a problem and probably why she didn't win her race, because you have two counties that actually flipped blue since the general mm. election that David Perdue and Kelly Leffler were leading. And, you know, they lost a lot of support when they didn't back Trump. And there were people that were skeptical when they waited right up until the finish line to say, yes, we are going to object to the electors. And then look what happened.
0: Yeah, And talk about that a little bit, Heather. What are you hearing on the ground in Georgia about the analysis of how Purdue and, and Leffler lost these these races?
7: Well, I mean, I think a lot of people are convinced that, yes, there's there's fraud, right? Like we saw the night of the election, um, several news outlets reported a, like a 30,000-plus drop like as they were calculating the, the results as they were coming in. So there's people that are skeptical. They, they, they believe there was more fraud. But then there's a lot of people that said some people didn't turn out to vote, that they would have had even bigger numbers regardless. And I do believe that there are a lot of people that didn't turn out to vote. I think that they waited till the last minute. To, to support President Trump. I mean, at both the rallies in Valdosta and in Dalton, people said fight for Trump when they would get on stage and try speaking. Uh, but, you know, it's unfortunate because not only did she concede to Raphael Warnock, she called and congratulated him. Now, mind you, this is a guy that she just spent the last couple weeks saying, hey, he was arrested in a child uh, like a for obstruction of justice and a child abuse case and he, like all these terrible things about him. And then you turn around and congratulate someone. Like that man is not a good person. Why would you congratulate him after everything you've been saying? And so, you know, this is sort of what Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood were talking about when they said, Don't trust these people. Make them earn your vote and you know, looking back, I, I see where they were coming from, even though I fully believe we should all exercise our right to vote. Well,
0: Heather, um, I know we're coming right up against the break. We very much appreciate uh, your perspective from there in Georgia. Uh, always great to hear from you. And, folks, we'll be right back with Jamie Allman right after this.
6: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
2: Well, welcome back
0: to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. Now, before we go, I want to bring in a longtime friend of the program, host of Radio Free Allman, Jamie Allman. Jamie, so good to see you, man. Great to see you again, too, Eric. Absolutely. Now, Jamie, you talk to patriots every single day. You're you've, you're often on the ground talking with people, asking them what they're thinking. One of the things I've always appreciated about you is that you also bring onto your program people of all different political persuasions you're happy to talk to conservatives to liberals to libertarians to democrats to republicans we're in an era now though where big tech is increasingly censoring points of view usually (laughs) conservative points of view Um, Earlier today, John Solomon said, uh, the founder and editor-in-chief of Just the News, said that he thinks that 2021 may be the year when millions of Americans move away from these censorship platforms like Facebook and Twitter and find other places where they're going to share ideas. What do you make
8: of that? Well, and including other places where they're going to get their information. So if I'm Just the News and I'm Real America's Voice, you guys are really poised to take advantage of the fact, and you're doing this, obviously, legitimately, taking advantage of the fact that there are so many people who have decided they are out of this trust game with mainstream... Yeah, and specifically, for instance, even tech. I think there's a general feeling really, Eric, of supreme abandonment, not only of, uh, of of our politicians abandoning us, the Democrats and the Republicans for that matter, and their hypocritical behavior in the wake of what happened on Wednesday and everything else, and noticing that Facebook and Twitter now are starting to pull all of their cards out and show their hand and say, we're going to ban President Trump until the inauguration, we're going to do this and do that. And so I've talked to a lot of people who listen to my show, even on Facebook, for instance, uh, and and on YouTube, who are saying they're transitioning out of big tech because they're just tired of, uh, of of the control, and now they actually know what big tech indeed has in store for them, and that is limiting their voices, keeping them cloistered. And I think now people are doubling back and more empowered than ever to start to coalesce around each other instead yeah. of depending on these. What these platforms that are gonna uh, excise them anyway.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things, you know, you and I have talked about in the past that censorship is often a mark of lack of self-confidence. I mean, if you're confident in your ideas, then you should be able to go in and debate with and and actually allow all ideas into a free marketplace of ideas. Freedom of speech, freedom of expression has always been a core value in the United States. It's baked right in right there into the first amendment and yet we're seeing these big tech giants really trying to take away the ability of people who have differing viewpoints to even speak and even express those those points of view. And I, I agree with you, I've seen a tremendous amount of concern and a lot of people uh, moving, moving away from that. One other point that you made was about the mainstream media, and I wanna, I wanna pick up on this. There's recently a poll came out that showed that fully a third of all Americans now have no trust at all in the mainstream media, and there's an additional 10, 15 percent who have very little trust. I mean, the mainstream media has lost a tremendous amount of trust that they used to have with the American people. You are, I think, a 14-time Time Emmy Award-winning journalist. Give our viewers a sense for how you see what's happened over time. How did the mainstream media change to get to a place where now you have a huge percentage of Americans who just have no trust in them at all?
8: Well, look how their glossary has changed over the last, for instance, three days, Mm -hmm. where suddenly media would be using terms like rioting, would be using terms like insurrection, would use terms like mob when for the past six months we've seen rioting, insurrection and mobbery and they all call it peaceful demonstration. Mm -hmm. So you notice how the glossary has just changed over the last two days where they apply words to people who they don't agree with that they don't apply to people who they do agree with. And that's the first sign that this media is deeply troubled. Even some of the people who are so-called conservative friendly are pulling the same kind of thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. rioting fighting is a specific, a specific, very loaded word, and and there are like a handful of people who breach a door at the Capitol and touch a couple uh, 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 phones and a couple uh, paperweights and things like that, and they turn that into an insurrection and show us video of people around the Capitol. And by the way, they went to the Capitol because. That's where their elected representatives are. So swarming the Capitol, for instance, they use this term swarming the Capitol. Well, did did the, did the I have a dream speech? Was that swarming the uh, the Lincoln Memorial? No, of course not. It's all people who are gathering legitimately. And so once people get this idea that the media is targeting them, and this isn't just being biased. This is the media actually targeting real Americans who are simply... Uh, exercising their right to assemble, their right to free speech. And I'm not saying that busting in through a door is a right to free speech, but you know what I'm talking about. A majority of the people at this rally, at this demonstration, were peaceably assembled and were there for a reason because that's where the action is. They didn't go to a Starbucks and break a window. They went to the Capitol where they felt like they could make a difference. And so it's how the media portrays it. The aftermath of this whole thing, the last two days, Eric told us everything we needed to know about the media and how they feel about us. And and that we actually didn't belong in Washington, D.C. Like, where where did you guys come from? It's like, well, we just happen to be the people of America, that's all, and we're coming to the seat of our government. And the media actually learned a lesson a long time ago because I think they regretted the kind of attention they gave to Donald Trump while he was running for president. I think big tech felt the same way. And much like it was with creating the concept of mail-in voting, the tech giants and the media said, "We are not going to let this happen again." Mm-hmm. And they proceed the next four years to start to uh, crimp information, uh, call information, fake news, create fake monitors, all that kind of stuff, only because they felt like they missed something because we actually use social media a lot to support our president and support common sense conservatives. And they didn't want that to happen anymore. And they make sh- damn sure that over the next four years and finally now, uh, they're going to keep those voices crushed. They don't want any more uh, victories from the conservative movement, I guarantee you. Yeah. And Jamie, one of the things that you've also done, you've actually been on the ground at a
0: lot of Trump rallies, a lot of Trump peaceful rallies right a- across the country. And you- you've you've done that over the course of-, of months and years. And I know that you on Radio Free Allman are always hearing from your listeners. What are they saying to you about what we need to do as a country, how we move forward together?
8: Well, uh, I have to tell you that among the people I've been spending time with, they are supremely sick, unfortunately, for the Republican Party of the Republican Party itself, the, the establishment Republican Party. They feel severely abandoned by the power structures of the Republican Party. They don't feel listened to and they are absolutely unhappy about how this is going. So over the next uh, couple of years, I think what's gonna happen is there's gonna be a lot of focus on not only primarying some of these people who decided they just uh, were too good for the masses. And they also wanna focus on uh, state legislatures and they wanna focus on uh, mail-in voting and they wanna focus on the process as well. So this isn't all just gonna be a bunch of demonstrations and a bunch of tweets and a bunch of things like that. This is gonna be some real actionable type of, of things that these people are taking and, and And these folks feel supremely abandoned. I can't tell you no. how no. off the individuals feel who I've been spending time with these freedom rallies uh, throughout fall and everything else. And so unfortunately for the Republican party, there are some people who are just as happy if it goes the way of the Whigs, as far as they're concerned, because they're just very unhappy right now, but they're going to turn that into some constructive action. I don't think anybody really wants to uh, harm the other side. They don't want a civil war. They don't want the insurrection everybody claims they do. They just want to be listened to, and they they just want justice when it comes to voting and that kind of thing. I mean, we just saw what happened in Washington, D.C., when they decided they were going to, for the last past few weeks, they've been talking about uh, the people peaceful transformation of power is all pivotal to this republic and blah, 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 The same people saying that now want to impeach the president and pull him out of the White House under the 25th Amendment. What kind of peaceful transition is that? So there are a lot of people very upset, totally disenchanted, but it'll be turned into action eventually.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that you touched on that, that we're hearing a lot of, and, and we you and I have been talking about this for, for, for years, is that You know, growing up, a lot of people thought of political conflict in the United States as being between the Republicans and the Democrats. I think now tens of millions of Americans look at the political establishment and they really feel like the conflict is between the political establishment and the American people. And that's true. That's something that we hear from conservatives and liberals who are really upset with the fact that they think that they've got a uh, group of politicians and lobbyists who are kind of in this self-feeding, self-referential system that really isn't serving the American people. Now, you know, one other thing I want to I touch on, Jamie, just in the last minute that we have before we go, is you have always been, I've always known you, no matter how hard things get, you're always positive, you always find a ray of hope. You know, despair is not an American value. We might get hit hard, we might get knocked back, we might even get knocked down, but we always get up. What are your words of kind of hope and encouragement to citizens, again, just Americans across the political spectrum at a time like this?
8: Well, I think we're in some kind of new great awakening, and and that's a really good thing. We're awakened to that concept of the Republican-Democrat party actually being almost indistinguishable. Look how they reacted when everybody showed up in Washington, D.C. They were suddenly shocked that people wanted to talk to them and people wanted action. So I think we're in a great awakening not only as it relates to discovering really who's for the country, who is for freedom of elections, who is for even freedom of assembly, and we're seeing the Republican-Democrat structure uh, basically didn't want us in Washington, D.C., and and that told us everything we needed to know. Also, uh, on, on this, and it's not self-serving for you, but I have to tell you, we're very encouraged by the explosion of new media. Yeah. And, and, and so- so we can complain about CBS, NBC, and ABC News all we want, CNN and Fox. But the fact of the matter is we have so many alternative ways of We've communicating. We've got a lot of great
0: new al- alternatives now. And I, I'm sorry, Jamie, I have to end it there because we have to go. But, folks, again, that's Jamie Allman. Check him out at Radio Free Allman. And, folks, stay right with us right after the break. Dr. Gina's coming up. See you soon.